One of the things I love to do is I love to welcome new members into the life of our church. And so this morning we get to welcome a new member. We want to welcome Judith Shannon. If you see Judith Shannon, you might want to welcome her. It's great to have her with us. She has a daughter who uh, normally attends second service, Daphne, uh, Daphne Oldham. So we want to welcome uh, Judith. Also, uh, we want to welcome a new member, uh, Stacy uh, Harmon, who was baptized into Jesus this past Sunday morning. Isn't that good news? You know, I think one of the things that churches need to learn to do is celebrate well. And, and sometimes uh, we forget what a real win is. I mean, a lot of times at church, we get to used to doing what we've done forever, and, and we forget, you know, are we winning? What's a win? And when somebody claims Jesus, when somebody is baptized for the remission of their sins and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's one of the ways we go, yes, that is a win. So we want to welcome uh, Stacy to our church and her husband, Michael. They're also placing uh, membership uh, with us. Uh, yesterday was an awesome day as we were involved in our Head Start school, uh, Head Start Christmas. Um, many of you provided presents, and so yesterday we had a wonderful day. And I think this picture right here describes the beauty of that day. All these little kids who received presents and got to see Santa Claus, and it was just a marvelous day. And so uh, that, that is an incredible win. That is something that we want to celebrate as we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in this community. In this season of gift giving, as we think about the greatest gifts we could ever receive, I guess one of the greatest gifts we could ever receive is the gift of a child. And some of you know what it's like to receive news that you're going to have a child or maybe that the adoption is going to come through. I'll never forget, a number of years ago, I was, I was sitting with a good friend of mine, and they'd been in this long adoption pro, uh, process, and it didn't look like they were going to get the baby for the longest time, and, and finally he gets a phone call, and I'm sitting there with him, and I can hear by the tone of his voice that something has transpired that he is filled with incredible joy as he's nodding his head and he has this big smile come on his face and he puts the receiver down and he says to me, the adoption's come through. We're getting a baby. We're getting a child. Such awesome news. What an incredible gift to receive. And yet for all those all those experiences of, of joy, for all those who experience the joy of either hearing you're going to have a child this time of year, or, or experiencing adoption, there are others for whom this season is especially difficult. And I think it's important for us to be mindful of that and for us to honor that. This season is difficult because there are some who have wanted to have a child for years, and yet that just hasn't occurred. There are others who've been in a very long adoption process, and you wonder if, the, if you're going to get the baby. If you've ever experienced that heartache, that struggle, then you can relate to the couple that we're introduced to today in Luke chapter 1. You can relate to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because here is a couple who wanted a child forever. They had prayed for this precious baby and yet year after year, they continue this prayer, and finally now they've grown old, and they've long since given up hope of, of having a child. 
If you've ever this morning felt like God has somehow forgotten you, then this morning I want to give you some encouragement from this passage of Scripture. If you've ever prayed a prayer over and over again, and it just doesn't seem like the Lord is is listening, then, then there's a word for you in this passage. If you're the kind of person that you do your best to serve the Lord, and you're, yet you're not quite convinced that, that God is engaged or God is really involved in our world. You're the kind of person, you show up every Sunday and you go through the routine of worship and, and you're just regular, but you're not, not, cons, not quite convinced that God is present and really making a difference, then this passage, I think, is for you. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, it begins in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Zechariah is a priest, and he has been given the opportunity of a lifetime. He's won the lottery, so to speak, in terms of the priesthood. He gets to minister in the area known as the holy place. And so understand there are thousands of of priests. He is the one who's chosen today to go into this very special place And so that morning, three long trumpet blasts are blown, and people all over Jerusalem know it's time for the morning prayers. It's time for the morning sacrifice. Outside the gates of the temple, the people gather together to pray. And inside, the priests are readying the temple for worship. And then here's Zechariah. Now, Luke is careful to tell us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. Interestingly, both of them come from the tribe of, uh, our descendants of Aaron, the very first high priest. And in all of his years as a priest, he's never had this incredible opportunity. They're chosen by lots. Some would never have this opportunity. And if you have the opportunity to serve, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You would only do this one time. Maybe you've had those moments that are kind of of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Maybe it's the day you got married and you remember that and you want to savor that. Or or maybe maybe it's when you graduated or perhaps it's this incredible trip you took and you knew it's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's Zachariah. He's ready to experience this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so he walks, enters into this dimly lit place, the holy place. Everything about this place is symbolic. The tables, the candles, the draperies, the altar, it all had powerful significance. The incense that was burned on the altar was a symbol of the prayers of Israel that would waft up into the very presence of God. And so Zechariah now walks into the holy place. He's closer to God than anyone else right now in all of Israel. He spreads out the incense. It kindles on the altar. It begins to waft up toward toward God, and now there's this sweet-smelling, sweet smell in in the holy place. As the people outside pray, Zechariah no doubt prays. He closes his eyes. He begins to pray. And as Zechariah opens his eyes, suddenly he realizes that he's not alone. 
I'm sure we've all had those moments when we thought we were alone and suddenly we realize we're not alone. I think I've told you before about the time when I was just a young preacher and I was a youth minister in a youth minister intern in, in Alabama. It was a Saturday night and I came to the church. The church is, is dark and I, I wanted to go over my message. And so I stood behind the pulpit and I'm in the middle of my message and I come to an especially powerful point, at least I think it's pretty powerful, in that sermon and I pause and suddenly I hear, And I realized some kids from the youth group had come in and were sitting in the very back listening to me preach. Suddenly I realized I wasn't alone. Here's Zechariah in the holy place. He's prayed. He's, he's done all of, all of the, the things involved in temple worship. And suddenly he realizes he is not alone. Someone is standing at the right side of the altar of incense. He's startled. He's gripped with fear. It's an angel. And then Gabriel, the angel, speaks to him. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. Zechariah and Elizabeth had dreamed and longed for a child, but now they're well past childbearing age. They're, they're up in years. And Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard. I wonder if, if Zechariah must have thought to himself, what prayer? What are you talking about, Lord? I mean, in his old age, after so many years, after so many birth announcements, after so many prayers have been prayed, Zechariah had stopped praying. For a baby. And I love Zechariah's response to Gabriel. You can tell by reading this that he is not a novice husband, that he has some maturity. He, he's been down the road before. And so what he says is, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife, well, she's along in years. Don't you love that? She's along in years. Now I'm old, but hey, she's just, she's along in years. He and Elizabeth know that people their age don't have kids. Now, often as we read this story, we see it as a story of Elizabeth's barrenness. And because of that, it brings her a deep sense of pain and shame. The Lord has not blessed her with a child. But I want to suggest to you today that this is also a story of Zechariah's barrenness. And Zechariah has a barrenness of belief. Zechariah's barrenness is that he could not imagine a future different from the present. He could not envision something new. He could not imagine God stepping in and doing something powerful, like blessing this older couple with a baby. And it's the barrenness that we sometimes experience. It's the barrenness that comes as we Stop hoping and stop expecting and stop planning for a bright future. We just settle into what's comfortable with, with how things are, have always been and we forget that we serve a mighty God. We forget that we serve a God who's entered into time and space in a, as, in a baby. We forget that we have a God who does miraculous things. Zechariah has forgotten this. He has a barrenness, as I said, of belief. 
And so then Zechariah asks a question. He says, well, how can I be sure of this? I mean, we're old. Now, he knows it would require a miracle. And really, I almost find this humorous. You see, Zechariah, he wants a sign from God. Lord, how can I be sure of this? Well, I don't know, but having an angel standing in front of you in the temple, that's a pretty powerful thing, don't you think? I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing. I haven't seen an angel lately, have you? I haven't stood in the presence of an angelic being. It seems to me that's a pretty powerful sign. He wants a little certainty. And so what does the angel say to him? Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until, this today, until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. And ironically, Zechariah now can't speak. He's silenced. As we said earlier, Zechariah is a descendant of, of Aaron. And Aaron's part in the Exodus was that he was someone who would speak. He was someone who would um, be eloquent. Moses wasn't someone who was eloquent. Moses wasn't someone who felt like he could speak. But his brother Aaron, he could speak. And so here is Zechariah, a descendant of Aaron, and he can't speak. He can't say a word. I think this is a preacher's nightmare. You know, I've had that recurring dream before. Other preachers have, you know, where, where you're called on to speak and you can't, somehow can't utter words. You, you can't string together, you know, three syllables. Somehow you just can't, the words won't come out. And now here is Zechariah, and this is true. Zechariah can't speak. It's almost like Gabriel was saying to Zechariah, you be quiet and watch now, and let me show you what God is about ready to do. You know, sometimes... Sometimes in all of our fretting and worrying and relentless speaking, we just need to be quiet. We need to be silent. We need to listen. I know we sometimes see this as discipline from God, but, but I'm wondering if this was not a great gift that Zechariah received. Zechariah could not speak, and so for nine months, he's, he's silent. But you know, being silent is hard. I find this very difficult. Uh, in many ways, I'm a lot like Zechariah. I do go through the motions of doing what I'm supposed to do. I get focused on the present. I worry about unanswered prayers. I sometimes have a difficult time believing that God will intervene and do something powerful in our midst. And yet, Zechariah was about ready to see what God could do. And so finally, Zechariah, he comes out in the courtyard. He's been inside a long time. The people wonder, what's happening? And he's, he comes out, and everyone can see from what's written on his face that he's experienced something amazing. But then they notice that, that Zechariah, he can't speak. He can't utter any words. And now can you imagine Zechariah goes home with Elizabeth. Can you imagine him trying to somehow communicate to her what he's experienced? 
and what, they're, what they now must do to act on their faith so that they can have this little baby. Now, I don't want to sound crass, and I realize we have a mixed audience, but can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine this, this 80-year-old man, 85-year-old man saying to his wife, well, we, honey, we need to somehow communicating. And she, now, what? Say what? What are you asking me to? And then finally, they act on their faith. <laughs> and verse 24 says, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then finally, Elizabeth speaks. She's filled with such humility and such grace. And she says, the Lord has done this for me. So what do we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth's story? Let me mention just a couple of things. I, th I think today we can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth that, that, that there's nothing unique about having to wait. I realize we're part of a culture that wants things, we want to do things quickly. We want answers right now. But yet as you read through scriptures, you find people who are constantly waiting. It was Noah and his family waited 40 days for the, in the ark for the waters to subside. The Israelites wandered around for 40 years waiting to enter into the promised land. And, and the disciples, they waited three days before Jesus walked out of that tomb in a victorious fashion. Sometimes we think as we pray and we bring our concerns before God, we think, well, maybe, maybe my life's not good enough or, or maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe that's why God is not answering my prayers right now. God's timing and God's ways are always better than ours. His will and His way is always perfect. But this story reminds me of something else. It reminds us that God, God remembers and God, God works in in surprising and unexpected ways. You see, God always remembers. Oh, I realize we forget. We pray so many prayers, and then we forget and move on. And yet God doesn't forget. The name Zechariah means God remembers. God remembered Zechariah. I, I love it when the angel first appears to Zechariah, and he declares, your prayer has been heard. How revolutionary would it be if we have this sense that God hears our prayers and God remembers those things that are on our hearts even when we forget them. And God is able to work in surprising and unexpected ways. He's able to bless, bless this family, this aged couple with a child. But there's one more thing. And that is God answered Zechariah and Elizabeth pr Elizabeth's prayer in a way even greater than they expected. They prayed for a child. And what did the Lord give them? The Lord gave them John. And Gabriel says this to them. He tells them that John will be a joy and a delight to you. And then he says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Who was John? John was this one that God would uniquely use to prepare the way for the birth of Jesus. They wanted a child, and they got John. 
in this sermon series, we've been looking at all these gift exchanges. And here's what I want to say today. If you'll give God your dreams and your disappointments, God will give us his fulfillment and his perfect will. He heard their prayers. He answered them. And he answered them not according to their timing or their plan, but according to God's perfect timing and God's perfect plan. And finally, nine months later, nine months the baby is born, and finally Zechariah can speak. And you remember what Zechariah does? The first thing Zechariah does is he praises God. The first thing Zechariah does, he doesn't praise God that he has John now. No, he praises God for Jesus. He sings about the Lord. Zechariah, you see, is no longer focused on what he wishes for most, a son. He is now focused on the one he needs the most, Jesus, God's son. And so this time of year, we often sing this song, which I love. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. For nine months, Zechariah prepared a room in his heart for Jesus. And now he is filled with such incredible joy. The gift of Jesus. It's the greatest gift. And so this morning, I wonder, have you received Jesus? There's no better time than this season to open your heart to Jesus. There's no better time than right now than to say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. If you'd like to follow the Lord, we'll have a couple of elder couples in the very back, and I'll be down front. If there's something we can help you with, we would love to be a source of encouragement to you at this time. Come while we stand and while we sing this song.